Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Pro-abortion vandals in Rome. The office of a prominent pro-life group in Rome, Italy, was vandalized during a march in the city. Demonstrators claimed they want to end violence against women. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney calls them hypocrites. Javier Malay, Argentina's new president. How new leadership in the country could impact abortion policy throughout Latin America. With some countries in the South poised to legalize abortion, Millet and his vice president, Victoria Villaruel, have said they will work to protect life and the family. Will these two Catholic leaders come through for pro-life Argentinians? And how will their policies counter the green wave of abortion activists in the region? India's growing abortion pill market. Some of the top manufacturers of deadly abortion pills are located in India. We're joined by Rebecca Shaw, who explains how this deadly market is hurting women, not just in the U.S., but across the globe. The Eternal City has seen a flurry of activity in the fight to protect life. For days, church and government officials worked to save the life of young Indy Gregory, who was tragically removed from life support in the UK and died on November 13th. Now the office of the pro-life group Provita e Familia, located in Rome, has been brutally vandalized. This during a march in the city that attracted thousands of people who gathered to, quote, eliminate violence against women. Those who marched violently threw smoke bombs, smashed in windows, and graffitied pro-abortion messages on the pro-life headquarters. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney weighed in, calling the vandalism hypocritical and intolerable, saying, quote, should violence always be condemned or only when it is directed at someone whose ideas we share? And moving now to South America, where the libertarian economist Javier Malay was just elected, elected president of Argentina. Ahead of his election, Malay said in an interview that he is pro-life because life begins at conception and wants to do away with Argentina's current law that allows for the abortion of children up to 14 weeks old. That law resulted in the decriminalization of abortion in Argentina in 2020. But pro-lifers in South America hope that Malay's election signifies that the tides of public opinion are turning in favor of the unborn. And we're joined now to discuss this by Gualberto Garcia-Jones. Gualberto, thank you for being here. Uh, the president is known as a political lightning rod and has been compared to former President Trump before. So what can be expected of his pro-life policies? Well, it's a very interesting situation. Um, on the one hand, the president and his vice president have spoken very eloquently and very directly about their stance on the right to life. They're both they're both pro-life without uh, any types of bones or exceptions. Um, but on the other hand, they have the political reality that um, they uh, they have to deal with a divided, a very divided legislature. Mm. And therefore, they have spoken uh, in interviews and in debates um, about, you know, having different terms for the actions that they want to propose and, you know, short term, middle term, long term. And I think that in order to really make a change in terms of protecting life, 
um, you know, they will have to make some alliances within the legislature, and that's going to be a middle-term type of project for them. Mm, very interesting. And let's talk a little more about Malay's vice president, Victoria Villaruel. She seems very committed to her Catholic faith. Both of them are Catholic, but um, she specifically has spoken not just against eliminating abortion, but also laws that allow for same-sex marriages in that country. So how might her influence um, impact issues important to Catholics in Argentina? Well, I mean, it's a breath of fresh air to have politicians that are as bold and eloquent as uh, Victoria Villarreal. She, um, as you said, she's given a, a very consistent stance on uh, Catholic teaching, but really on, you know, the the foundation of of society um, in terms of, of family values. And these are values that I think most of Argentinians uh, do share mm. and that were stripped away just in the last couple of years through very intense lobbying efforts, oftentimes supported by international organizations and a lot of international money coming into Argentina. Right. Um, so um, she's she's great. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that she's a woman and that she's fearless and bold is just a breath of fresh air, and I think they're going to do great things. I, I'm very hopeful. Mm, and speaking of that lobbying effort to allow abortion in Argentina, the pro-abortion movement in South America, broadly, is known as the Green Wave, and they wear green scarves. One activist actually went so far as to place her green scarf in the hands of Pope Francis. Now, the Pope has said that a woman obtaining abortion is similar to hiring a hitman. But a counter-movement in Argentina, the Blue Wave, promotes life. Can you speak to the impact of the blue wave in Argentina and in South America more broadly? Well, we've seen that that uh, pro-life activism has, you know, really uh, risen in the last couple of years. Uh, I think for a long time, um, you know, people of faith and pro-lifers in general just assumed that these values would, you know, would hold. And because of the incredible attacks, again, largely supported from, from the U.S. and from Europe, um, the pro-lifers have had to organize, and they've done a great job with the, you know, in, in Latin America, as you mentioned, they reference themselves by these these uh, sort of bandanas that they wear around their necks. The pro-abortion side is, are the green bananas, and then the pro-lifers, you know, chose the blue mm. bandanas, and, and they've done a great job. And I think, you know, with regards to, to sort of these efforts to manipulate um, the church and Pope Francis in particular, I think they failed. It's uh, you know, Pope Francis has been very clear on what he considers abortion to be, which is uh, homicide. And so, um, you know, I th I think the the uh, blue bandana team has uh, an ally in the presidency and the vice presidency right now in Argentina. And really, I think that they have a majority of the population with them, um, but they do have uh, a battle ahead because, you know, the, the option that the president that Millet is mentioning um, is a ballot sort of uh, referendum at the national level. Mm. And to do that, first, they have to go through the legislature. So the process is such that first the legislature has to approve the referendum, and then they have to go to, to a national vote on this issue. And we know, um, you know how committed the pro-abortion forces are to those efforts, how much money they're going to pour into it, how biased the media is. So um, you know, it's, uh, it's a movement that needs to be supported. I know American pro-lifers are uh, coordinating with them. And we really need to support them because the opposition is supporting, e you know, each other. So um, it, we have uh, a strong battle ahead. 
But, you know, thankfully, they really do have pro-life champions now in Latin America. And I think that's going to inspire the rest of pro-lifers in Latin America to, to raise up the pro-life flag. Right, right. And, Gualberto, it's been three years now since Argentina kind of bucked the pro-life norms that we've known to be true in South America for so long. For decades and decades, they've protected life. Now, Argentina in 2020, as we've been speaking about, passed a law legalizing abortion in one of the largest economies on the continent. So what could the overturning of such a law, should Millet and Villaruel's policies get through, what, what would that mean for the region? Well, I mean, I think it would be an, an incredible, incredibly positive thing for the region, um, showing that, you know, these these changes that occurred very, very much in the last five years around the, the region with Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, um, that they can be overturned quickly. I think it's a very important that that they do so quickly bef before they become sort of a settled precedent. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I think I think it's imperative that they that they do so very, very quickly and um, that they show that this really uh, was something that was instituted not by popular support, but but by foreign influence. Mm. Um, so while it is a bit of a risky strategy to to submit something as fundamental as a right to life uh, to a public referendum, um, in a way, if they are able to 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 win that public referendum, it will be a uh, sort of a definite um, statement that Argentinians want to protect life. Because remember that the right to abortion, the so-called right to abortion was instituted through a, a backroom dealings and a legislative process that was not transparent. So mm -hmm. uh, bringing it out to a public vote uh, could have a very positive effect if they're able to pull it off. Very interesting. Well, I so appreciate your insight. Very eye-opening. Gualberto Garcia-Jones, Executive Director of, of the International Human Rights Group, thank you for joining us today. God bless you. My pleasure. And now for more headlines moving our world this week. Brazil's Supreme Federal Court is considering a case that could decriminalize abortion, allowing for the death of unborn children up to 12 weeks old. The same pro-abortion groups that make up the green wave in Argentina are active in Brazil as well, and they're pressuring the country's Supreme Court to legalize abortion. The court is reconsidering a case that has been on hold since 2018 and would do away with a law that has protected unborn children through all nine months of pregnancy in Brazil since 1940. Brazil would be the fourth Latin American country to throw out their pro-life laws as of late. We'll continue to keep you updated as the court deliberates. And across the world in Russia, officials are making efforts to limit abortions in response to declining birth rates. Last week, the Kaliningrad region joined other territories in announcing a new policy that anyone who persuades or deceives a woman into having an abortion will incur a fine. Lawmakers are also discussing banning abortion in private clinics. In 1920, Soviet Russia became the first country in the world to legalize abortion. 100 years later, in 2020, the country had almost 400 abortions for every thousand live births. And now to Dublin, where the Irish people are still reeling after three young children were injured in a knife attack. One child has been discharged from the hospital, while the other two are still being treated for their injuries. Two adults were also stabbed, and the incident resulted in a wave of riots across Dublin. As many as 500 people looted storefronts, set fire to cars, and threw rocks at those trying to quell the commotion. The rioters claim they acted to protest the influx of immigrants into their native Ireland. But Irish officials say instigators were simply taking advantage of a tragedy to wreak violence. 
It has been alleged that the assailant who stabbed the young children at their nursery school was an immigrant himself. Coming up, a special look at India, one of the world's leading manufacturers of deadly abortion pills. How India's export of abortion drugs impacts women across the globe, our next guest explains. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. After the overturn of Roe v.ersus Wade, many American women turned to the Internet to obtain abortions via dangerous pills known as mifepristone and misoprostol. But what many women still don't know is that these pills are manufactured overseas. Some of the biggest manufacturers are located in India. One nonprofit, DKT International, has become one of the world's largest distributors of abortion pills. But Bloomberg reported earlier this year that one-fifth of DKT's products are produced by an Indian company that has a record of making medicines that fail important quality tests. DKT spokespeople claim their company is not associated with any products being illegally imported into the United States or elsewhere and say they have not received complaints from distributors or customers over quality. We recently spoke to Rebecca Shaw, co-director of the University of Dallas's program for Indo-American Friendship and Understanding, who told us about the widespread abortion pill market in, in India and how the country's abortion laws have allowed the abortion pill industry to grow under the cover of darkness. Becky, thank you so much for sitting down with us today to talk about the abortion landscape in India. Paint a picture for us of what abortion is like in India. We know that it was legalized in India in 1971, just a couple of years before Roe versus Wade here in the United States was legalized. So one of the most interesting things about India is that India is the most populous nation in the world. We have overtaken China. We have 1.4 billion people. And when many people think about India, they just think of lots and lots and lots of people they don't really think about the serious issue, which is population uh, decline in India at the moment. For the first time in India, the total fertility rate has dipped below replacement level of 2.1. We are now at 2. So India's population is slowly declining. We are a young population, so there's population momentum. Now, how does this have an impact on abortion? Well, as you said, since 1971, we have had the Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act, ostensibly enacted to provide safe abortions. But what is safe abortions? Uh, abortion, in my non-medical view, is a murder and quite unsafe. But um, this was an act that began in 1971 and was amended in 2021. There are various criteria for abortion in India, and most of those criteria are quite broad. One is, of course, to save a woman's life. We've heard this. The other is for the mental and physical well-being of a woman, uh, economic and social necessity. And finally, abortion is allowed if contraception between a husband and wife has failed, so quite broad. Uh, there, there were, in 2015, about 17 million abortions. A majority of those 
73% of those abortions were conducted outside of healthcare facilities. This, of course, led to the amendment of this Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act in, 19, in 20, of 1971. It was amended in 2021 to include the provision of abortions for non-married women or unmarried single women. It also extended the, uh, the, the time, we, uh, for example, abortions were allowed up to 24 months. So this is a very liberal uh, abortion policy, which many people don't hear of because all we hear about is that India is just overpopulated. Right. And we don't hear about the dangerous thing that is this very permissive and dangerous abortion policy. Mm -hmm. And sex selection abortion is also something that's prevalent in India. Yes, funny you should say that because at around the time the MTP Act was enacted in 1971, we have the introduction of ultrasound machines mm -hmm. in 1971 as well. Of course, they set the ultrasound machines up to detect fetal abnormalities, right. but the effect of which was to result in significant sex-selective abortions, mm -hmm. where there was a tremendous female feticide. We have millions and millions of missing girls. In 1980, in 1980, that is 10 years after ultrasound machines were introduced in India, we have a sex ratio of 111 boys to 100 girls. So that is 111 boys. This is just an average number. There are districts in India with about 69 girls to 100 boys. So we have a bare branches issue, very similar to the one you might have heard of in, uh, in China. Having said that, sex-selective abortion has improved in India. I want to raise this as a positive. It's come down from 111 boys to 100 girls to 108. A small uh, decrease, but overall, in terms of absolute numbers, that's a good good, good change. Yes. It's a change in the right direction. Absolutely. Yes. Becky, talk to me about um, the religious landscape in India. You know, Christians are often the ones who are most likely to promote pro-life values, but they're in the minority in India. Do Islamic peoples, people who practice Hinduism in India, do, do they value life? Absolutely. So we just talked about sex-selective abortion. And the one wonderful thing uh, which I'm proud of to say as an Indian Christian is that Indian Christians have consistently had a sex ratio of 104 of 103 uh, boys to girls, which is close to the norm. Yes. So while other, the other religious traditions in India have had very disastrous sex ratios, we as Christians have had maintained good sex ratios in India. Now, in terms of the value of life, uh, so in Hinduism and in Islam, but let me talk first about Hinduism, there is a strong belief in the value of life. Uh, dharma, which is the law of nature, which we could say is similar to what we Catholics would call natural law. 
believes in the value of life. And it is a sin to kill life within you. In fact, there's a wonderful, I want to tell you about a Hindu tradition where a woman who's seven months pregnant gets to wear red and green bangles. Mm -hmm. And it's a special tradition because the bangles are supposed to, uh, when the mother walks, the child within her is to hear the music of those bangles, glass bangles. That's beautiful. So there's a commitment to life in these religious traditions and there's strong prescriptions against abortion also in Islam. And we see that in the sex ratio of Muslims in India who also show positive sex ratios, i.e. 105 boys to 100 girls. So that's... Uh, pretty standard and uh, not as disastrous as some other religious traditions in India. I see. Thank you for explaining that. Um, Becky, let's talk about abortion pills. Mm -hmm. India is one of the number one manufacturing countries of the abortion pills, mifepristone and misoprostol. They, they send these pills all over the world. What is your estimate of the global impact of, of these pills going everywhere? Well, thank you for asking this question. This is a, this is a very serious issue. Uh, the abortion pill industry in India is growing. Uh, for example, there is a pharmacy in India that has just, in April, uh, conducted its first um, initial public offering, IPO. It's called the Mankind Pharmacy, Mankind Pharma. It was the largest and most successful IPO in India, subscribed over 30 percent uh, than, it than it expected. And one of the main reasons is the success of its abortion pill kit which is sadly called unwanted, mm. the unwanted kit. And you can buy that for 400 rupees. In April this year, there was a New York Times article called Inside the Online Market for Overseas Abortion Pills, written by a journalist called Alison McCann. And she uncovered uh, the industry, the, the, the of abortion pill industry, which comes from India, you can order abortion pills from America on a website that is based in Kazakhstan. And these brown paper packets come to a, an office in, in wherever, in a southeastern state in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you can buy that. And when, at the time the article was written, the person whose name was withheld had sold 300 kits in one month. And these are mainly coming from India. So there's a tremendous market. They are cheap, they are inexpensive, and they are very widely distributed here, but they are very, very widely distributed in India, and there's the danger. Mm, yes. And what other countries besides the U.S. do you predict that these pills might be sent to as well? I would imagine they would go to Europe. Mm. They would go to Europe and parts of Africa. Mm. Africa right now is remarkable in that it has uh, very uh, healthy fertility rates, yes. and that's wonderful. But I would imagine that these pills would go to Africa. A lot of pharmaceutical drugs, because they are very cheaply produced in India, do go to Africa. So I imagine that is a, a ready market for these pills mm -hmm. once it takes off. Right, so pretty widespread. Uh, Becky, what can you tell me about DKT International? Well, 
DKT International, from what I've heard, is a large organization based here in, 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 in America, in Washington, D.C., I believe it is. And uh, they are funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with other funders. And a few months ago, there was uh, an expose article about them, uh, written in Bloomberg News, that a significant portion of the abortion pills that was sourced from a pharmaceutical company in India called Sinochem were of dubious quality. So if you can imagine, Prudence, that you find very poor abortion pills in America, how many poor quality abortion pills are being distributed in India? In fact, we find news reports in India saying that abortion pills are being handed out like candy to prostitutes, to um, uh, college girls, and 20% uh, of a study, 20% of people who took this abortion pills, this is a study that was conducted in 2022, a fifth of the women who took these abortion pills had serious hemorrhaging and had to be taken to the hospital majority of them uh, are, take the pills without medical supervision. Right. So they are being used in lieu of contraception. Mm -hmm. So this is the danger of these pills, which are, we might, I might add, some, most of, some of them are of dubious quality. Right, right. And as you alluded to before, there's no such thing as an unsafe abortion. This no, is, there is this not. This is proof of that. There is no such. Um, it's an oxymoron. Yes. <laughs> You can catch my full conversation with Rebecca on our EWTN YouTube page. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.